going to look at uh, the statement that Jesus makes in John 11. I am the resurrection and the life. Um, there's so much theology packed into this chapter. Uh, we're going to try to unpack it all today. But uh, the songs that I, I, I picked uh, for, for today kind of reflect this. So as we go into worship, and I ask Kristen to come up uh, and lead us. As we uh, go into worship, and I'm not singing with her because she's got a good voice. I don't. Uh, think about the words we're singing, all right? <clears throat> Does anybody know what 20th century theologians voted for as the best song to be sung in churches? Does anybody know? That's it. Jesus... Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. Every verse of that is theologically sound. So the theologians said, you know, kids sing it, but we should sing it. Mm. Well, we're not going to sing it today. We're going to sing some other songs. Would you, if you're able to and, and you want to, would you please stand and worship? So, good morning, church. Crown him king, for he is Lord. True faith in him will lead us to our reward. His grace he saves us. His word he leads us. Earthly wealth, wealth we will leave behind when we at last join the eternal choir. So crown him Lord, praise him and dance for him. Believe and live. All hail the power of Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord. Chosen seed of Israel's race, ye ransomed from the fall. Hail him who saves you by his grace, and crown him Lord of all. Hail him who saves you by his grace, and crown him Lord On this terrestrial ball To him all majesty ascribe And crown him Lord of all To him all majesty ascribe And crown him Lord of all From Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. Jesus, lover of my soul, 
Jesus, I will never let you go. You've taken me from the miry clay. You've set my feet upon the rock, and now I know. I love you. I need you. Though my world may fall, I'll never let you go. My Savior, my closest friend, I will worship you until the very end. Jesus, lover of my soul, Jesus, I will never let you go. You've taken me from the miry clay. You set my feet upon the rock, and now I know I love you. I need you. Though my world may fall, I'll never let you go. My Savior, my closest friend, I will worship you until the very end. I love you, I need you. Though my world may fall, I'll never let you go. My Savior, my closest friend, I will worship you until the very end. God gave leave to Satan to tempt Job, Job, sorry, into cursing the name of the Lord. Satan killed livestock, servants, and even Job's son, Job's son and daughters. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I come from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be blessed. In all this, Job did not, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness. Blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me, when the world's all as it should be. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. Though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in void, Still I 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. You give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. You give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Won't you please be seated. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Would you please read with me the responsive reading. Philippians 3, 1 through 11. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write down the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put in no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. That's okay. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, and somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. All right, so in this letter, Paul addresses his friends and warns them to beware of his opponents who are corrupting the gospel. He called them dogs, mutilators, and evildoers. The issue is that these evil people were mandating that the Gentile followers of Christ should perform certain Old Testament rites to make, the, make them Jews in order to become part of the people of God. They especially wanted the Gentiles to be circumcised. The evildoers preached that Paul was not an authentic op- apostle and that he removed certain legal requirements in order to make the message more appealing. And Paul refuted this to the Philippians, saying that the circumcision was unnecessary to follow Christ And those who were prescribing that right were promoting nothing but mutilation. We are the circumcision, he said. In Romans 2.29, Paul said, No person is a Jew who is is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Paul then gives his bona fides in which he is faultless. His life has been nothing but flawless, nothing uh, following the law righteously. But then he says that the accomplishments are garbage. 
with the knowledge that Jesus Christ is his Lord. His deeds, his life, are nothing, and he will suffer any torture, misery, and death for God because he knows that the only true path to resurrection and eternal life in heaven is through faith in Christ. Everything else is meaningless. Amen. Let me give you a news bulletin. The big news in Ocean County yesterday, there was a Taylor Swift sighting in LBI. The big news, Taylor Swift. An LBI. I mean, you know, people were, were, were running there, flocking. She was in town, I guess, for some uh, rehearsal wedding reception or some such nonsense. And, you know, we, we celebritize people uh, who really don't care about you. When I can tell you this, in every church that's faithful to the gospel, Jesus Christ is here. And we lose that. We lose that sensation. In fact, that was the problem with some of the churches in, in Revelation, where um, Jesus, the risen Christ, dictates letters to the Apostle John and says, give them to these seven churches. They're in trouble, all except two of them. And he says, some have even shut the door on me. Wow, that's a hard accusation. And yet we go crazy when we see celebrities. Uh, it's amazing to me. The other thing that we've minimized pretty much in, uh, in our culture is the idea of the difference between a house and a home. Does anybody know what the difference is? What's the difference between a house and a home? Is there? Yeah, Chip. Okay, yeah, one, one's a building. In fact, uh, you can live in an apartment and still have a home, correct? The building doesn't make much difference. It's what's found in a home. And the home uh, should be a place of refuge, security, should be a place where you can go to unwind. And one of the big problems uh, today is that many homes are in disarray. Uh, many families are in disarray. So it's hard to, to conceptualize what a real home looks like anymore because there's conflict within the families. Every family has conflict. But the thing is that they have no idea how to work it out in a way that honors the family. A church is supposed to be a group of people who are a family. Did you realize that? It's not the building. There are plenty of buildings that look nice, and there's nothing wrong with buildings that look nice. But it's the attitude inside the building that makes all the difference in the world. We live in a world that looks good on the outside, but is rotting from the inside. That's a big problem these days. Uh, Jesus started to to address this late in his ministry, um, you, I, you realize, uh, maybe some of you don't realize, the last three and a half years of Jesus' ministry, he was homeless. Did anybody not know that? He was, he was homeless. So how do I know that? Scripture says it. Okay. But he had a home he could visit. And that was Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He knew he can find shelter there. He knew they had the added, well, what made that house a home was there was love. There was love between Lazarus and his two sisters and his sisters to Lazarus, and they all loved Jesus. You see, a house can never be a home unless Jesus is in the center. You follow, okay? And I think we, we, we grow sh short on this. Remember Mary and Martha? This is not the first time we're gonna encounter them. Uh, Mary and Martha, uh, Jesus used to stay there periodically. And then Mary was the, 
Mary was the one who wanted to sit at the Savior's feet as she had the opportunity and learn. Martha was the one who wanted to make sure the house was neat, everything was dusted, the, the, uh, uh, you know, the food was just right. After all, the Savior was in the house. Now, I'm, there's nothing wrong with that. But Jesus kind of refines that and says, listen, in fact, Martha did what a typical sister would do. Jesus, go to my sister, tell her she's lazy. She's not doing anything. And Jesus said to Martha, very gently, by the way, Martha, your sister picked the better thing, to spend time with me. He says, it's the better thing. Not that what Martha was doing was wrong, but Mary picked a better thing. Well, now we encounter the two sisters again because Lazarus was sick. In fact, it's what John 11's all about. And um, it's really a great narrative. Uh, apparently, uh, Jesus, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha were very close. And Jesus didn't take this lightly. Lazarus was a friend. Let's look. Would you bring me to um, John 11? I know I skipped the offering and the prayer, but we're going to do that after. Okay? You got, you got, all right. John 11. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. I got the changer here. Okay. This Mary, whose brother uh, Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. You remember that? What an act of worship. Mary chose to sit at the feet of Jesus, poured expensive perfume. You see, worship involves sacrifice. It involves sacrifice of time, sacrifice of finances, and sacrifice of attitude to humble yourself enough to sit at the feet of Jesus and be taught. And in adoration, Mary is wiping his feet with expensive perfume and her hair. So the sisters sent word to the Lord, the, the one you love is sick. When they heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Now, you might say, well, that, that's kind of strange. If Jesus knew his friend was sick, if he ran to Lazarus, couldn't he have healed him? Well, what we don't understand many times is that God works on a timetable and in ways that we don't understand sometimes, but are the best ways. In fact, Jesus chose to stay two more days. Now, from the time Jesus got the message to the time that he left with his disciples to Judea, Lazarus died the same day that Jesus got the message, so four days. And you would say, well, that's odd. Let me, I'm going to set up some cultural things for you here that we lose because, you know, we weren't raised in that culture. But as, as this goes on, you'll see why it's not so odd. But Rabbi, they said, meaning the disciples, a short while uh, ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, yet you are going back. Jesus, at this point, his ministry was a wanted man. There, was, there were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin had put a contract out on him that he needed to die. And the reason why he needed to die is because he was a direct threat to their religion, their legalistic religion, their hypocrisy, their power, their greed. So they wanted to get Jesus out of the way. 
But still the question remains, why did Jesus wait a couple of more days? In Jewish thought, and I'm not sure if it applies to today, but in Jesus' time and in Old Testament time also, when somebody died, they had to be buried before sundown, okay? Body had to be prepared, put in a tomb before sundown. The Jews believed and were taught this, that the spirit of the body hung around the body in the tomb for three days. After four days, there was no hope of life anymore. That's what they believed. That's what they were taught. That's what the rabbis taught them. Well, Jesus waited four days so that people would be able to see the miracle that God was going to do without any doubt that this man was dead. Do you understand what I'm saying? They can't come back and say, well, you know, Jesus had this all planned out. You know, if we, if we went day one, day two, or day three, you know, Lazarus' spirit was still in the tomb, and that's not really a miracle. Well, yeah, it is, but Jesus wanted to leave no question about it. And he knew going there that he was going to put himself in danger. But that didn't stop Jesus. He followed what his father wanted him to do. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. Uh, if a person walks at night, then they will stumble, for they have no light. In other words, have any of you said, I wish there was more than 24 hours in a day? Well, guess what? There's not. We all have 24 hours, and what we do with them is important, isn't it? We could waste them. We could sit on a couch and play games. We could watch television, football all day long. We can do other things. The question is, what does God want us to do? You know why? Because all of us only have today. We don't know about tomorrow, do we? And Jesus knew he was a wanted man. And he says, look, I, we need to do this because it's the Father's will. How much more would you and I prioritize what God wants us to do if we had this attitude that we only have today, Lord, help me use every hour to bring glory to your name. Whether you're working, whether you're at home on vacation, whether you're changing the seat covers of a little one, whatever it is, Lord, help me bring glory to your name. I would call that an attitude check. We need an attitude correction every once in a while, don't we? Those of you who have had uh, dogs and cats, um, do you know dogs and cats could even get spoiled by their owners? You know that, okay? No, not <laughs> uh, certainly not chips. But sometimes even they need an attitude check, don't they? We need an attitude check. I don't know if I have tomorrow, you don't either. And I'm not trying to be morbid, but I'm trying to say this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice, be glad in it. It doesn't mean you can't enjoy it. It doesn't mean you can't have some recreation. However, what it does mean is if we're not honoring the Lord in everything we do, we're missing the opportunity. I've had too many missed opportunities in my life. How about you? Every day is a day to glorify God, not ourselves, but to glorify God. So Jesus knew this, and his, he, he was so obedient. We don't like that word, do we? He was so obedient to the Father's will. He said, look, I know they want to kill me, the religious people, ironically. I know they want to kill me, but I'm going that the Father may be glorified. 
And so they went. Let's look how this, this goes. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. And of course, the disciples weren't the sharpest tools in the, in the shed. When uh, a Hebrew uses the word has fallen asleep, it's not talking about literal sleep. It's talking about he died. And so look at what the disciples said. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. He's sick. Let him sleep. And Jesus said, uh, no, you're missing the point here. Jesus had been speaking of his death. But his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, get that, for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to see them. Because of original sin, you and I tend to believe lies more than we believe the truth. That's one of the results of original sin. When we are born again, when we come to Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, by faith alone, not by good works, not by faith and good works, not by anything we can do because we are morally bankrupt, every one of us. And if you're sitting here and you say, well, I'm not as bad as the guy down the street. Yeah, you are. We're all that bad. Jesus had to come because he loved us to die on a cross for you and me. So the penalty for our sin can be paid to the Father. And the disciples still were having a problem with this. And he says, for your sake, I was glad I wasn't there because I want you to see what's going to happen. This is the Father's will so that you might believe. Then Thomas, oh, Thomas shows up a couple of times, doesn't he? Also known as Didymus. Does anybody know what Didymus means in the Greek? I'll test your Greek. Nobody knows? Twin. He had a twin brother. Okay. Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us go that we may die with him. Thomas, you know, was saying, okay, Lord, you're willing to risk your life to the, do the Father's will. We got your back. We're right there with you. I wonder if we were with Jesus today and we knew he was going to step into a dangerous situation. We may say, okay, Jesus, I'll see you later. Let me know how it turns out. We laugh. But that seems to be our tendency these days. Let us go, that we may die with him. So they went. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. No question, he was dead. No question that he was starting to decay. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many of the Jews had come to Martha, um, to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brothers. So, you know, funerals uh, back then lasted about a week. Just like weddings, by the way. Lasted about a week. And the body was buried. They would sit, mourn, and cry with, with the ones who lost a loved one. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. It figures, right? Martha, the active one. She went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. You don't know how many times I hear this in one form or another. Listen, can God heal? Absolutely. Can we demand that he heals? No, we can pray that he heals. But Martha, being so human here, 
went to Jesus and said, you know, Lord, why didn't you come sooner? If you'd been here, you wouldn't have died. Don't we treat God like that sometimes? In our grief, we kind of blot out God's purpose in, in an event. But Martha says this. This is a beautiful profession of faith, by the way. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. She's saying, look, I know you're the Messiah. She says, Personally, I'd rather you would have been here sooner. But I know you're doing the Father's will. And she had that type of faith. Look how it proceeds. And Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And Martha, and you can understand this, you know, probably not thinking all that clearly in, in her grief. And she says to Jesus, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. In other words, in the second coming. And he sure will. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Your brother's going to rise again now. She didn't quite get that. And Jesus makes a statement. I am the resurrection and the life. Did you catch that? I am, another I am. Moses said to, to God, who should I say to Pharaoh and to the, to the Jews who sent me? And God said, tell them the I am sent you. Well, Jesus being fully God, fully man. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who what? Believes in me will live. Even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And he says to Martha, do you believe this? Let me unpack this just a little bit because I want to get to a couple of other things here. It says, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Without Jesus, we have no hope. Without Jesus, the grave would be final. Without Jesus, we have no assurance of eternal life in heaven. Without Jesus, we would all be condemned to an eternity in hell because of our rebellion against God. But you see, Jesus died by crucifixion went in our place and died. Three days later, he what? Rose from the grave. He conquered sin. He conquered death. And he conquered Satan. The one who believes in me, even though they might die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. I want to translate that last phrase. He who lives by believing, and what that means is by believing and keep on believing, in me will die, and here's how the original language uh, reads, will never, no, never die. Do you believe this? What Jesus is saying is, if you believe in Christ, even though you physically die, Everybody physically dies, right? Unless the Lord comes back again. It's not the end. When we believe in Christ, we're going to enter into eternal life with him. Do you believe this? It's a question for all of us. Do you believe this? Oh. Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister aside. She privately talked to her sister, Mary, and said, look, the teacher is here, the rabbi's here, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and she went to him. Picture this now. You had Mary sitting with the people who came to mourn with her, after Martha whispered to her, she gets up and quickly goes out. Well, what are the guests thinking? She's overcome with grief. She's going right to the tomb. 
So they, they're going to follow her. It says, now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, what was her reaction? She fell at his feet. Isn't that interesting? We will laud and hail celebrities. But in the presence of Jesus, we have no choice but to fall at his feet. And then in her grief, she says the same thing that Martha said, right? Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. This is important. The words that are used in this passage, whenever you see this language, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled, means that Jesus got angry. What did he get angry at? He got angry at death. When God created man and woman, they were never intended to die physically or spiritually. Do you know that? They were never intended to taste what physical death is, nor ever taste the condemnation of spiritual death, which means the rejecting of God and the rejecting of Jesus Christ. God desires that no one perish. That's what the scripture says, right? When Jesus thought of death, he saw it as an enemy. When Jesus thought of death, he thought of how Adam messed up in the Garden of Eden and through one man's sin, one man's rebellion against God, sin came into the world and caused what? Death. And Jesus got angry. Wow. He says, where have you laid them? Come and see, Lord, they reply. Jesus wept. Same words used here. He wept in mourning for his friend, that his friend went through this experience of, of death. And Jesus became angry because we were never intended to die. And Jesus knew he had to come and make payment for that sin on the cross. And when he did, when he said, it is finished, once for all, and when you believe in me, not when you do rituals, not when you help old people cross the road, none of that, but when you believe that Christ is the only way to, f to know salvation, forgiveness, new life, and eternal life, death has been conquered. Then the Jews saw Jesus weeping. See how he loved them. But someone said, uh, uh, but some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of a blind man, this was the man who was blind from birth, by the way, this still keeps coming up, all right, um, have kept this man from dying? The answer is yes. But it wasn't God's plan. We have to stop treating God like Monty Hall. We have to stop making deals with God. The important thing is that the will of God be done in every circumstance. That's the important thing. And we don't write the script. God does. Jesus, once more, deeply moved and angered, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. A little foreshadowing here of Jesus' own death, right? And he says, take away the stone. I love the response. 
I was actually going to entitle the, the sermon today, He Stinketh, which is the King James translation of this, right? But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. All right, Lord, you move the stone. You let me know how you do. I'm not, I'm not sticking around for this, right? Listen, the Bible says our sin is a stench in God's nose. That's the language it uses. Think of the worst smell you ever smelled. We lived a few miles from Sea Caucus where they had pig farms and a slaughterhouse. And when that wind came in from the east into Rutherford where I lived, in the heat of the summer we had to shut the windows because the stench was unbearable. I'll never forget how that smelled. Sin magnified that a million times. Sin is a bad odor in God's nose. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? See, this is all around the glory of God. So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. See, Jesus never did anything outside the will of the Father. He knew he had to wait the four days because that was the Father's will. He knew that... Um, the Father would be glorified by seeing Lazarus have life again and come out of the grave. And the Father did that to glorify the Son, that people who would witness this would believe that he was the Christ, the Messiah. So look what happens. I knew that you always hear me, Father. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. I watched a, uh, a program last night where they kind of did a man on the street interview and asking them some questions. And I often wonder if we did an interview in Lacey Township in Bayville or what, wherever, uh, where we asked people, uh, was Jesus really the son of God? Well, who do you think Jesus is? What kind of answers we would get? Some people might say, well, he was just a good teacher. Well, if that were the case, then you would have to believe everything he said. Because good teachers don't lie. Some might say, well, he was just a good teacher. Well, if that were the case, then you have to believe everything you said because good teachers don't, don't lie. There's no other conclusion when you think of it that he was the Messiah and is the Messiah. Look what happens here. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Can you imagine this? Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen cloth around his face. I mean, this was a walking mummy. But he was not the walking dead. There's no such thing as the walking dead. There are the frozen chosen, but that's different. Uh, there are, there, th this is not a mummy, this is a live man wrapped up in grave clothes. And he comes out of the grave. And then Jesus says, take off the grave clothes, let him go. All of that to say this, this is a beautiful, this story really happened by the way, this is not made up. This is documented. It's documented by historians of the time. Just like the, uh, Jesus' own resurrection. This was not a true resurrection because Lazarus, as he got older, ended up dying again. And a true resurrection like Jesus, and our resurrection when Jesus comes back again, we will never die because that's the promise. Isn't that right? 
What a great picture. Before we came to know Christ, we were dead. We were dead in our sin. We were no better than Lazarus in the grave. We were dead. We didn't even realize it. And you know what? Our sin made us stink. But when Christ finds us, and he reaches out and says, trust in me. I paid the price for your sin, for your stench, for your shame on the cross. That if you believe in me by faith and repent, turn from your sinful ways, turn to him. Your sin is forgiven past, present, and future. And you'll be with me for eternity. Even though that you may die one day, you'll enter into eternal life for eternity. There were many who got that this day. That sin causes us to stink. And that we were no better than Lazarus before Christ came along. But when we put our faith in Christ, he raises us up from the dead because we were dead in our sin and makes us alive in him. And he says, come on. But what about this? I mean, Jesus could have called them and commanded the grave clothes to come off by themselves. Isn't that right? Why do you think Jesus told the people there to take off the grave clothes and let him go? I want to suggest to you this is a great picture of what discipleship's all about. When we first come to Christ, we still may have some of the trappings of the grave clothes on. And through study, prayer, worship, mutual accountability, getting right doctrine in our minds, in our hearts, these restrictions begin to fall away. And the more we grow in the knowledge and the grace of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Word, the more free we are to obey Christ. This is a great picture of who we were before we believed. I'm, I'm praying we don't take this for granted. And I'm afraid the American church by and large has. You know, it becomes an old story after a while, but there's a hymn that says, I love to tell the old story. We should never get sick of it. We should be encouraged by it because without Jesus, we'd still be dead. We would have no hope. There is another side of this, too, and I'll end with this. There are people who basically, spiritually speaking, are the walking dead out there. People who need to know Christ. And I'm not saying you leave here today and and take your Bible and, and, you know, badger them with scriptures or anything like that. But what I am saying is this. The commission that Jesus gave to us when he left this earth and went to heaven was very simple. Go into your world. Make disciples of all people, all nations, all ethnic groups. Teaching them what I've taught you and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God has entrusted us with the message of freedom, with the message of forgiveness, with the message of a sure hope, with the message of the fact that there is life in Christ that we enter into the moment we trust him. And that life will continue even after the grave. Can you imagine if you were in that crowd that day? Maybe you can't. I don't know. I'll tell you a quick story, and then we'll end with this. 
My father was uh, in the Army Air Force during World War II. That's before the Air Force separated. It was the Army Air Force, right? And um, he ended up being a supply sergeant over in uh, Fort Dix. He did his training up at Kilmer, which no longer exists. But uh, he was at McGuire uh, Air Force Base in Fort Dix. And his job was to put uh, supplies on the transports going over to uh, Europe for the war. Uh, he was also the company boxer, and, and they treated him pretty well. So after the war uh, you know, was done, he was discharged, and he got a job. <laughs> he got a job driving a hearse for a funeral company in New York City. This is a true story. And, uh, you know, he, he, he was told to go to one of the hospitals, I don't remember if it was Bellevue or one of the big hospitals, uh, to pick up a body. That person unfortunately passed away. And he's in midtown Manhattan now in traffic, and he hears a sound from the back, and the body sits up. Right? It's not atypical, by the way. This happens sometimes, you know, because of the gases and all. My, my father shut the car off, left it right where it was, found the nearest payphone, and said to his boss, you better come out here because I'm not getting in this car again. Right? Think of how these people must have viewed this. This guy in the grave for four days. Jesus giving him life. I would suggest to you that the greater miracle here is not Lazarus, but it's you and I. Because we were dead, bound for hell, in trouble with no hope. And it's only in Jesus that we have forgiveness, new life, new faith. Where is thy sting, O grave? Well, sting is gone. When God calls us home, the grave didn't win. He did. He won for us on the cross. Amen? Please, let us not take this for granted. There's a lot here. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Next week, we're going to see how the Pharisees, the religious people, and the priests try to preserve their corrupt religious system by trying to kill Jesus. It's a fascinating passage. Next week is only seven verses. But it's probably so, uh, uh, the most powerful seven verses before the crucifixion. If you ever want to see the effects of original sin in its full bloom, look at the Pharisees, the priests, or the re religious establishment. Because when Jesus is not in the center, when we preach anything but salvation alone in Christ, then that religious system is doomed and that religious system just, just gives out death. And you'll see how that happens next week. God is good. And all the time. I picked a, a hymn uh, to close the service. So I'm going to ask Kristen uh, to come up. And I picked it purposely. Yes. Yeah, we're going to do that. So I want you guys ready. Okay. Um, see, Chip just got on the trustee board. He's been a good trustee. <laughs> Don't forget the offering. So, uh, but you want to help, you know, with that? And I wasn't going to forget, but I want these guys ready. Okay. Well, there may be a Sunday where I start with the message. So, be on time. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. 
that on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Wow. This is the day that the Lord has made. Amen. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We now call upon you to worship and giving. That's part of worship. And as the Lord leads, would you give to advance the work of his kingdom? And then I'll ask the music people to go into how great thou art. since uh, there was a Taylor Swift sighting in the area. 
If I, this is not true, but if I announced uh, that next week uh, there was going to be a celebrity here like Taylor Swift, this place would be packed. If I announced Mariana Rivera were going to come, who's a believer, by the way, I wish he would come. I'd give him the pulpit. He's the great, best pitcher the Yankees ever had. This place, they'd be lined out in the parking lot. But Revelation says to me, every Sunday Jesus is here. And we should all be here. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your great word. Thank you for your great salvation. I pray a blessing on each one who's here today. I pray that as we go forth, that we keep in mind this is the day you have made. Help us to be a blessing to others. Help us, Father, to minister grace to others, to introduce them to the great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, Father, we will be careful to give you all the glory. And all God's people said? Amen. Hey, that's pretty good. Have a great lunch.